Welcome to Coaches on a Mission. I'm your host, Dallas Travers, and you are in for a treat today because my guest is Rebecca Tracy, who is all about helping coaches keep things simple in their businesses. So Rebecca niched into working with coaches because after taking all of the business courses, she saw too many coaches continuously struggle to just get clients because none of these fancy courses covered the foundations clearly enough. So surrounded by incredible coaches who were floundering and quitting their businesses way too early, she decided to do something about it. In this episode, Rebecca will drop some serious truth bombs all about simplicity in your business, the myth of course launching, and why every one of us should build solid foundations before we even think about scaling. Rebecca and I share the same perspective, which is that your business does not have to be as complicated as the internet would make you think, and this episode will help you simplify things. So I'm happy to introduce to you Rebecca Tracy. Rebecca, welcome to Coaches on a Mission. I'm really excited about our conversation today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Me too. All right. So I think we're both in agreement around this, but I would love to kick this conversation off handing you the microphone. Can you talk to our listeners about the myth that the online world often (laughs) perpetuates about what it really looks like to scale your business? Yeah, I think... (laughs) It's so interesting because I know you and I both tend to work with coaches who are sort of in the newer-ish to business yeah. phase, right? And so I'll often have I'll often have folks that I work with who are kind of similar who you work with, new coaches, come to me and say, cool, so I'm a coach, but I think I want to create some passive courses so I can make some passive income and not have to work as much. And I'm like, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> so it's interesting because I think that as coaches, I started off as a life coach. Now I teach marketing. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I started as a coach, I wanted to work with people. I loved like the work that I was actually doing one-on-one. It's where you have, you know, the most transformation. And it's interesting to just see this jump in coaches' attitudes as soon as they get into business. It's like I want to scale. And I think what people don't realize is that and I didn't realize now that I'm past that point and I have scaled, yeah. is that you go from becoming a coach and like doing the work that you love to becoming like a full-time marketer. When you scale, I don't know if the video is being used, but air quotes when you scale in that way. So that's the, that's the one thing that I like to point out right away when people are talking about jumping to scaling, because I don't think that there's a clear enough picture of what that means. You're not just making money in your sleep and then still doing a bunch of coaching work in your actual time. Like most of your time is now spent being a marketer, yeah, which is a huge shift for coaches. Yeah. So for me, tell me what you think of this, but what's interesting about what you just said is I I think a lot of coaches try to skip ahead to the scaling part because they don't want to have to market themselves. Right. I want to bypass (laughs) having to enroll people and selling and putting myself out there. I want to bypass the intimate visibility that comes when you're first building your business. So if there's some way I can skip that step and just have a big machine, I'll do it. But what they don't realize is if you don't like that, all now, you're going to be doing. Completely. <laughs> totally. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also interesting because I think that the, like the quick, I know, I don't think, I know that the quickest way to make money when you're starting your coaching business is working one-on-one. Like mm-hmm. it is, there's just so many more processes and systems that need to be in place and your skills need to be excellent to move into 
coaching groups or like people who, if you want to create an online course, like how many times do you have to have actually worked through that curriculum, which you don't have when you're a new coach, right? And so there's just so much work that goes into getting to that place. And so it takes so much longer. People think it's going to be this magic thing where you're just going to create a course and in your sleep, people will buy it, but it's not actually the best way to make money. And I would argue, even as you grow, you can scale by raising your prices, by creating, you know, VIP offers versus these sort of like one to many offers, which seems to be where coaches want to jump to, which doesn't make sense as coaches, you know? Right. Yeah. At least not early on or even like midway midway through your journey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a program and we will protect the names of the innocent (laughs) and guilty by not sharing what it was, but I was in a program specifically designed for scaling. That was the promise of the program. And Uh behind all of that was a lot of talk about like freedom and spend your time walking on the beach and all Mm -hmm. that other stuff. So prior to that, I was in a launch model. So I had courses, but none of it was on evergreen. And I went from launching twice a year to literally feeling like I was in a perpetual launch 365 days a year. It was way more work. When you went to Evergreen. When I went to Evergreen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have also done the same thing where I've have, I have a launch model. I've had Evergreen. I've done one. I mean, I've been doing this for over a decade, so I've done yeah. all of it. All the things. But the biggest change for me, I think, came in realizing that so the more that I started to scale and create courses, mm-hmm. the more that I had to have my own systems and processes in place, the more of a team I needed. You can't have a course business without a team because yeah. if you want to actually scale it and make any real money with it after your marketing costs, you're going to have so many students that you're going to need customer service. You're going to have refunds. You're going to have funnels, which need tech and tech support. And there's just so many more team members that you need. And for me, who always wanted to really stay very lean, that's been the apps. And now I do have a course model and I know it's different, but that's been the absolute biggest learning curve. And I'm 11 years in, you know, I'm not a new coach still trying to figure out how to message myself and how to niche and how to even get one client. I'm past that phase. And so to jump into having to you require that team. I don't, I personally don't think that you can scale to sort of an evergreen course model with just yourself, unless you're really good at everything, which most, most of us aren't. There aren't enough hours in the day. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Everything, right? You know, you started making a list and let's flesh this out for our listeners. Yeah. So what are the things I need in place in order for me to know I'm ready to scale? Ooh, yes. Let's start with the less tangible things. You need so much confidence in your signature system or your signature process that you're moving clients through. Mm -hmm. Can't create a course without having done that over and over and over and over again and tweaked it and refined it and figured out where people get stuck and where they fall off and all that stuff. So you have to have so much confidence in that system so that if you're going to courseify it, you know, like you're building in bits and pieces that are going to help people where they get stuck, which you found through testing. So lots of confidence, Okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) tons of confidence in your system. Tech, you need tech set up to sell the course, not just like the regular payment processor that you might use for one-on-one coaching, but you're going to need opt-ins and maybe timers and fancier sales pages and cart buttons and payment plan things and just all the all the stuff automations in your email system like all of that that goes into it and most people think well I don't need to do all like maybe I won't do all that stuff I'll just have my course and I'm like 
how are you going to sell it? How are you going to sell it? <laughs> how are you yes. going to sell it? So yeah. you need all of that tech in place. Yep. You need very, very clear refund policies, guarantees, just all of that stuff that comes up with money. You also, like I said, you need a team because you need someone answering customer emails for sales emails, which you might handle yourself. I still do a lot of my own sales emails, but then you need my login's not working. This thing broke. Where do I find this? You need someone answering all those questions, right? And you might yeah. think, well, I'm not going to have that many students. I'll just do that. But then why are you making a course if you're not going to have that many students? Exactly. Let's just <laughs> so. have three private clients. If you're going to have three people in your course, have three private clients. And- yeah, make way more money. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, what am I missing? You need to have a lot of skill with, especially if we're talking sort of course and group model, skill with just like managing that many clients at once. Because when yeah. you're a coach, it's one-on-one. And so if something weird comes up with a client, it's, there's an awkwardness, there's a butting heads, whatever, anything like that, you can deal with it one-on-one. But in a group, now there's students talking and they're going over here and you just have to be able to manage a group, coaching in a group, and then sort of the behind the scenes of what happens in a group as well. Completely. Okay. So, so far I need confidence in my system and I develop that confidence through working with private clients. Yes. Great. Number two, I need, if I want to 10x my revenue through scaling, I need 10 times the tech. Does that feel about accurate? I would say, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. Whether it's literally 10 times, the energy feels like it's 10 times the tech. Okay, great. I need crystal clear policies around the refunds and what is the deadline for payment, all of those questions or objections that we might address when we're enrolling people one-on-one, those need to be really clear and to be able to stand on their own because people are enrolling through a sales page. I took my glasses off and I can't see. (laughs) Great. Then I need a team to support the tech side of it, but also to support the extra load around customer service. And then the fifth thing that you mentioned was I need to have the capacity to hold a different kind of container yeah. than one that happens one-on-one. Yeah. I want to add to this. You also need a list, people. You need... Yeah. yeah. You need, well, yeah. You need someone to sell it to. People to sell to, right? I was going to ask, do you have a minimum number? Like when I <sighs> make a recommendation, what I tell people is get 1,200 people on your list. Depending on how well your launch converts, right? Because sometimes we do our best and something was off. Yeah. You have somewhere between 12 and 80 people in your program. Yeah. I'll usually say like, until you've got about a thousand people, I just wouldn't. It's just too much work. But then here's the thing. That's sure. So you're going to launch it to a thousand people. However many people are going to sign up, but then like, then what happens? Right. You need a thousand more people to continue Mm -hmm. selling it. And so this is where I say you go from being a coach to really becoming a marketing machine because Mm -hmm. your whole focus is getting people into your opt-in, into your funnel, onto your list so that you can keep selling them whatever this scalable thing is. And that's where it gets tricky because we think, well, my list is a thousand, but it has to continuously grow forever if you want to keep selling your program. You can't just keep selling the same thing to the same a thousand people. So yeah. Okay. So now that we've convinced everyone to scale, <laughs> stop it. And here's let me just caveat that with saying, no. that I, and I think you too. We have scalable offers, right? Completely. I sell a course. I've launched it. I have it on Evergreen. I am in my tenth year of business. Mm-hmm. It took at least five years before I got to the point where I was like, okay, I am so niched in. I know exactly what my niche's problems are. 
I know exactly what they want. I know exactly how to get them there and where they're going to get stuck. And I've built that all into my system. And I've done it so many times that I can basically guess exactly, you know, what's going to happen. So it's not that scaling is bad or that courses are bad or online courses are bad or passive income, any of that stuff. It's just that when you're new, it's, man, it is an uphill battle already starting this business. I just think it's a not the best. If you just, if you want to start making money and like actually be doing this thing, it's just, it's a long road there. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So I just want to drive that home for our listeners because you and I both have scaled businesses. So we're not against scaling. We're both trying to make a strong case here for doing things in order and in their right time. Yeah. And there's a myth that the online world perpetuates, which is like beep, bop, boop, build a course. Get a funnel. Your, your life experience is your course. Build it and they will come. <laughs> that is not exactly how it actually works yeah. in practice. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think then that coaches want to automate and scale and grow? So, I mean, for me and a, a lot of the folks that I work with, many people are coming to coaching after another career for the most part. Mm -hmm. If there's not many people that I see where it's like their very first career, you know, when they're 21 yeah. coming out of college. So they're often, they're coming from something else. So first of all, coaches love coaching, right? <laughs> we right. love helping people. There's that aspect right. too. But there's also this other lifestyle aspect that I think comes into play where it's like, I don't want to work the nine to five. I want to be able to be at home with my kid. I want to be able to travel. And so the lifestyle element of starting your own service business is so huge and gets talked up a lot in these scale models, right? Where it's like, do what you love and also have a crap ton of free time, mm -hmm. which is true. You can have that. But I think that that's where it comes into play. It's like, sure, I want to coach, but I also want to have so much flexibility. And so I think scaling gets sort of meshed in with like the freedom aspect of it. I think so too. I really hear that. And also, at least for my audience, there's a calling to help more people. So you get up to a point in your business where I'm full. I'm full and continuing to raise my rates on private clients no longer feels aligned yeah. for me. And so, and I, I see the impact my work has. So now all I want to do is impact more people. So yeah. there's a real purpose. Yeah. Which desire I would well. say is a great time to scale. If you are full yeah. on one and you are mm -hmm. at the max of what you feel comfortable, you know, like honestly comfortable charging for your rates, then that's a great time to scale, right? Because you've probably worked with enough people that you've got your system and you, you know how to get a client. So you're going to know how to get more. So that's usually my litmus test of like, are you full of clients? Can you not take any more? Can you not raise your prices? Cool. Then like, what is the next way to yeah. bump up? But if you can't answer yes to those things, then it's usually not, usually not the right time. Yeah, I agree. So I'm curious for the coaches who are somewhere between the, all right, I have, I have two clients. I'm, I'm actually doing this thing and a wait list and I've maxed out on my pricing. Do you have a favorite mini scale? <laughs> a favorite I mean, raising your rates. Yeah. I would say for most coaches, because we tend to start low mm -hmm. for, for most coaches start low. I would say most people start low as they start to gain confidence in their coaching and in the results and just learning how to market and sell and all of that stuff. So I think there's almost always room to raise your rates, which mm -hmm. can help enormously, even just a small raise. Different offers, it depends on how coaches are positioning their offers. I think you and I probably have a similar mindset around it. 
But if, you know, creating smaller bite-sized offers that are a little bit higher than it, our hourly rate would be if we're sort of doing a typical coaching model, we can create almost like mm-hmm. an EIP package or something that takes less time, but that actually costs a little bit more. Got it. So like a VIP day where I, I might spend four grand to spend a day with you. Yeah. Or an inte- if you were sort of doing ongoing coaching where you maybe have a client and you see them three times a month, ongoing, sort of forever or for three months or for th- six months, like shorten the time frame, uh-huh. make it sort of more intensive, higher value for clients who just really want to dig in deep and raise the price. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I'm a huge fan of like small group programs. So group programs, again, it's a way to scale. And I don't think it's the best way to jump in if you've never worked with clients. But if you're in that middle zone that you're talking about, Dallas, where you kind of worked with a few clients and you're starting to see, okay, I'm kind of saying the same things. I'm seeing this pattern of like what I'm doing with them, doing like a even just a beta test. Now, this isn't going to make you a bunch of money right away, but it is the first step to scaling. Mm-hmm. Just a small test. Grab five people. Grab five of your current clients, five people that you know want to be your clients, and just test out a really low-key, low-pressure version of a group program. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good in-between to kind of get your feet wet with starting to go, okay, so I need some different systems in place if I have a group. So you start to think about it, but there's no pressure. You're not jumping into a huge launch right. where... It's like you have all this pressure to get people in and then you have all this pressure to perform in a perfect way because they've just bought from you at full price. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite first steps for scaling, I call it power groups. It happened because this was very early on when I first started mentoring other coaches. I had four people who came to me to say, we can't afford you privately. Can we share you? And I thought, I don't know, but let's find out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we just, I took what, what I was doing with private clients, which was meeting with me for an hour every other week and tweaked it. So I met with this group of four every other week for two hours. Everyone got 30 minutes in the hot seat coaching And then we moved on to the next person. So I didn't have to design any workbooks or training videos or anything like that. I was just doing what I do with privates. And they got so much value from that. Yeah, that's awesome. Because they got to learn from each other. And sometimes, especially with both of us, our audience, none of us know what we don't know yet. And so to be in a small group with someone who's basically at the same place, but seeing the situation differently, Mm -hmm. they got so much value. And I charged, they each paid a third of what I would charge a private client. So it was scaled. I was making more money. It was less time because there was no email support in between. And my private Mm -hmm. clients had email support. I loved it. It's still, it's still my favorite way to coach people. And I still offer power groups today. Yeah. And I love what you said where you, you know, where you said, I don't know if it's going to work, but let's just try it. Cause I think that that is the attitude to have with scaling where it's like, Mm -hmm. start small, keep it low pressure. Don't get sucked into thinking it has to be this, this thing that we're going to, you know, spend six months planning and then another six months getting ready to launch because it just, I just think it sets us up for failure if it doesn't work. And I'd rather just have it be so low pressure that we're like, who knows? Let's see. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, easy to get stuck solving the wrong problems. Like I got to have perfect slides. So now I'm spending six weeks in Canva (laughs) building something that no one really cares about. Right. Because what they care about is the coaching. Yeah. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could just build your business focusing on your strengths? I see too many coaches struggling to fit into a certain mold and they ignore the easy path. So let's put an end to that. What I want you to do is go to dallastravers.com slash quiz. I've put together a 45 second superpower quiz designed to reveal two things. Number one, the very next step in your business, whether that's list building, client attraction, or scaling with a course. And number two, the natural strength you possess to help you accomplish that task. When you get your results, you'll also get a custom built toolkit with actionable items you can put in place right away to finally make this growth path simpler because you're doing what you do best. So the link again is dallastravers.com quiz. Go and check it out and then let me know on Instagram how you scored. What's a lesson you learned if you can think back to your first scalable offering? Whether it's from doing it right or a mistake <laughs> made, can you think of a lesson you learned the first time you started to scale? I mean, I just have this memory. It was my first year of my business where yeah. I, and here we go. I did the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to create a course. <laughs> and so I say this all from experience. And I, you know, I pre-sold it because that was the strategy. And I still think it's an okay strategy is to pre-sell it, see who's interested, you know, get the money in, and then you can use the money to help the creation of things. You are going to need to pay for some things. And I did the pre-sale and one person bought it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh. And I remember talking to a coach at the time, my coach, and she was like, well, this is probably good data. Like it's nobody bought in the pre-sale. I would say, cause I was like, do I still make it or do I not make it? And I was like, I'm going to still, I'm going to create it. Who screw them? Like, and she was like, hang on a second. What? <laughs> and I just remember I eventually didn't create it. And I looked back at it and I'm like, how stupid was that? I was so attached to my idea. I was like, this is going to help people. It's such a great idea just because they didn't buy it. They don't know. Right. I, I've been in that place many times where I think it's great and other people just don't, don't see the value. And I just <laughs> look now and it's so clear, right? It's like, yeah. if, they weren't buying it, they weren't into it. And so then it's not my job to get all emotional about it or make it mean anything about me. It's my job to figure out why they didn't want it and what I can try again the next time. And then it took me a few years after that, I think, to create another, <laughs> to actually figure out what people wanted and create a course. And then lots of people bought it. Right. I bet our listeners are curious, what did you do for or with the, the one person who signed up? That is a great question. Oh my gosh, this was 2011. I think I ref I either refunded them or I did like a one-on-one -on -one session. Yeah. I would have done one or the other because I remember going back and forth and trying to think of what to do. It's very possible that I just said, listen, this was $49. My one-on-one -on -one session is $200. Like, we'll just do a one-on-one -on -one session and yeah. call it a day. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have done something like that. Yeah. That's and nice. I think I just told them, I can't remember if I told them that no one else bought or if I made up a lie right. <laughs> about why it wasn't. I, my guess is that I made up a lie about why it wasn't running because I was yeah. probably too embarrassed to tell yeah. them. Yeah. And brand bought. new and totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see that being a block for a lot of coaches when, when they are ready to offer, even if it's something brand new or even privates, right? There's this real fear of what if nobody buys? Yeah. And one thing I often say to them is the only person who will know <laughs> that no one is there is you, right? So if nobody buys, nobody knows. 
Yeah. Um, but then there's this concern like, okay, but what if, what if, what one- if two people, <laughs> like, do I do it for two people or for one person? And yeah. What are your, what do you tell people? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I just think transparency and honesty and showing people our striving is the swiftest, easiest way to build trust. Yeah. So if I did a launch and one person bought, I would reach out to them and say, like, you're the only smart person on my list, <laughs> right? Or the, you're the only one who got it. No, but in all seriousness, I would say it doesn't look like now is the time to host this class because I didn't get the interest I anticipated. Mm-hmm. So here are your choices. And I would give them two choices, right? Yeah. You can get a full refund, you or maybe three, you can get a full refund. You can apply this tuition toward the next course that I offer, or we can meet privately, whichever works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'd even say if somebody, especially for newer coaches, if they're trying out at group offer and people, you know, they were hoping for 15 and two signed up or three signed up, I would say run it with them because it's still such a great opportunity. One person, you know, maybe not, I would probably offer the, the solutions that you offer, but two or more, it's like, go for it. You know, you still get to, they're going to love it because they're basically getting private coaching for a very, very low cost. And you still get the experience of going, okay, so what do I, I still have to create the structure and I still have to figure out the logistics of how this is going to work. And so it gives you that playground to start to build it. You're right, Rebecca. There is the, I remember I had a private client years ago who was in a launch and not hitting her numbers. And her question almost threw me off guard. And it was something like, at what point do I have to let the people who bought this know that it's canceled? And I was like, what do you, wait, what? <laughs> like, this is never going to be a program until you get started. So if what you really want is a program, I think she had six people signed up, but her goal was 56 or like it was, <laughs> it was a gap, yeah. right? If you ever want it to be a program, you have to start with something. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. My group, so for some numbers, my group that I that I run now started in 2014 and I had 12 people mm-hmm. and it was $300. It was great. Loved it. So much fun. Mm-hmm. And like, we're switching it now to a more of an evergreen model, but last few launches have been about over a hundred, 140, I think was our max people at $2,000. And you know, it started with me and 12 people going, okay, let's see, <laughs> let's see how it goes. That's so yeah. inspiring. That's really cool. That's yeah. Really you have cool. to just start. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So we've talked about scaling. There's more work involved than it might look like. And as a coach, I have to be ready to move into this full-time marketer position. If if I really want this scalability that we hear about so much in online, then we talked about signs that you are ready to scale. And each of us gave a couple of suggestions for easy first steps into the scaling pool. I'm just wondering when it comes to the marketing side of things, what is in your mind the most important or at least an essential marketing habit you think any coach needs to have in place if they're moving towards scalability? Hmm. Not fearing marketing. Yeah, tell me <laughs> I, mean, I was just thinking, yeah, like you you talked about a little bit about list building. And I think that that's huge. And I know that people have sold out whole programs on Instagram and people have never had an email list and run everything through Facebook ads, whatever. But at the end of the day, we've all seen people also whose Instagram is getting shut down or Facebook got hacked or 
whatever platform they're on just isn't a thing anymore, right? People mm. blew up on Periscope and now new coaches would be like, what's that? <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> so I think just like not fearing this idea of building an email list and also not not getting obsessed with the numbers of it. Like you don't have to have a list of 10,000 people. It doesn't have to be this massive thing, but just getting used to consistently bringing people into your world and telling them about what you have to offer and like making offers to them even for free things, right? Free things, paid things, just like telling people that you can help them in a way that has them come back and eventually like stay in your world, ideally on your email list. Because I do think it's easy, especially coaches, the number of coaches I hear who say, I don't want to do any marketing. I just want to show up and coach. I'm like, cool, Mm -hmm. go work with a company, go get hired as a coach. You can't have your own business if you're Mm -hmm. terrified of marketing. And so I think just this shifting our mindset around what, what marketing and selling is and just getting used to doing it all the time. Yeah. I love what you said because I even find myself falling into this trap. I love creating Instagram content. If I mean, I love you have so much great Instagram content. <laughs> I'm a nerd for Instagram reels, especially. And so I can get such a high from that creative expression that I can forget the point, <laughs> right? Like I'm marketing to build trust and build connection, and of course, add value, but ultimately to bring people into my programs. And so I love that you mentioned that when we're marketing, we have to be in the habit of presenting offers, even if that offer is into something free. I think that's a golden yeah. nugget from this episode. But part of that with your reels, to be fair, are people are coming back, they're checking it out and they're clicking around. And like, it's not that all you're doing is funny oh, reels no. with no offers. So no, yeah. it's in there. But I, what I'm saying is I, it's easy for me to forget. Yeah. And I think, especially if you're a newer coach there, I think there is this myth that if my content is good enough, or if I can like coach the hell out of somebody in a discovery session, people are just going to come. They're going to volunteer to pay me money. And that's, no, (laughs) that's just not reality. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Especially with content. I'm the opposite of you. I will say with Instagram, I don't want to be on it. I don't want to be doing videos. I will never make, I don't want to make a reel. I just, it's makes me so I'm just not, I don't like it. It's not where I, it's not where I shine. Let's say love that other people can do it. But I think social media in general is a great topic of conversation for this. Cause I do think so many new coaches come in and they're like, okay, well, people say I got to be on Instagram. And so they spend And you, Dallas, you have marketing skills by now. And so, you know, you've got a strategy for it, but they come in and they're just shooting spaghetti at the wall through content, reposting memes and trying to write captions and spending all of their time doing this with no focus and often no clarity at even in like what their message is or who their niche is. And they get so burnt out and they're like, I'm doing all the marketing, right? And they are, they're trying. It's not, it's not for lack of trying. It's just that it's not usually the best place to spend your time, especially without strategy when you're new. And I think, mm-hmm. I think reels can be amazing if the rest of the strategy is there to back up sort of the ecosystem of the whole business and how social media sits within yeah. that. Yeah. So effort without strategy is a waste of time. Is what I hear you saying. Yeah. It's a good yeah. procrastination strategy for folks who are scared of like, <laughs> you, like we were talking about, kind of scared of selling, scared of getting on calls with people. You know, it's mm-hmm. easier to just be posting on Instagram and researching hashtags and hoping that people come flooding in, but mm-hmm. it is a slow path to business growth, I would say when you're new. Yeah. Or if you're doing it without a strategy. Yeah. 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 If you're doing it without a strategy. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think is a swifter path? If I'm brand new and I had two hours a day to focus on marketing and 
Yeah. Planned attraction. What would you advise? I, so once this is assuming once you've got all your foundations clear, so your niche, your message is there, you know who you're talking to. Once all that stuff is done, I'm a big fan of things like this, collaborating with other people who share a similar audience that can Mm -hmm. be interviews, podcasts, going into somebody's group as a guest, uh, you know, offering a free training somewhere, but really getting in front of audiences that already exist. Yeah. So if you think about it, when you're new, you've got your Instagram account, which doesn't have a lot of followers. You've got your email list, which has, which has like your loyal friends and family who are cheering you on. But, you know, I see a lot of people posting new content, especially like blogging used to be a thing or creating videos where you're just creating content for the people who already follow you. Mm-hmm. You're just not getting in front of a lot of new people. But when you can get in front of somebody else's audience that already exists with a clear targeted message, and I think that's the piece that gets missed sometimes, it's just such a great way to start to build that email list and get people coming over to your site who are actually the right people and a lot of them all at once. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest value of positioning yourself in front of a curated audience you and I, our dream clients are like twins, right? So it's so smart that we are having this conversation. Yeah. But being in front of curated audiences, immediately my listeners are going to trust you more from listening to this podcast than they ever are accidentally finding a post yeah. of yours on Instagram, right? Because yeah. it's experiential marketing. You give people the experience of what it's like to work with you, but mm-hmm. also I'm that like you're being hosted by the person who has curated that group. So it elevates your reputation with them immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One objection that I hear to this a lot is, well, why would so-and-so want to have me on their show when I do something similar to them? And so I'd love to talk about that because you and I have very similar audiences, right? And it could be, it would be easier for me to go, well, why would Dallas want to have me on the show? Like I I do the same thing, right? (laughs) And, and people might think, well, why would, right? So I'm on the show, you're going to share it with your podcast. And I want to promote the fact that I was on a podcast and I go and share it with my like 40,000 subscribers. So it's like, it's such an equal thing. And I just think, I don't know. I hear this a lot. Just the fear of competition thing or the fear of like, so-and-so has a bigger audience than me. What value could I bring? And I think just like getting used to it, just being, you guys both have the same mission. You're both, you know, yes. you're both coaches, you're both whatever. If you're serving a similar audience, it's amazing because your goal is ultimately to help that audience. Right. And so the more that you can support other people who are doing a similar thing, it just comes back in spades in your business. Mm-hmm. And I think we can just let go of the competition thing at the beginning or the fear that we don't have enough value to bring, or it's not equal. Like somebody has a bigger email list than me. And so I can't, you know, the playing field's not level. I think if we can clear that stuff out, it really helps with just taking the chance. Cause it is nervous. It's nerve wracking. I think to pitch yourself for these types, types of opportunities when yeah. you're new. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely, completely. Especially the, what value do I have? Mm -hmm. Newer coach, it can kind of feel, they can easily relate. Let's use podcast guesting so we can just be specific here, right? They can see podcast guesting as like, why would the host do me this kind of favor? They don't even know me and I have nothing to offer. Yeah. What do you say to your clients and students who have that objection? Yeah. Well, I say, first of all, go research the show and see who they've got on it. See what kinds of things they're talking about. Mm -hmm. See what kind of, you know, see what other guests have brought and then start to look at your own, your own messaging around it. And like, what are some points of view that you have about this topic or for this audience that are maybe different than what they've shared or something that maybe 
they haven't heard or just, you know, a different angle on things, some expertise that they just haven't had on their show yet. Because it doesn't matter if somebody else out there is doing it better than you, you're the one pitching to them and bringing them this offer. And they need good content, right? The more that you can bring a cool perspective or a unique angle, like it makes them look really good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easy to forget that if you're pitching to a podcast that has guest experts, every single week they need a new guest. They need someone new, yeah. Right? So that is the value that you bring. Yeah, Yeah, that's really helpful. That's helpful. All right. Well, this has been so much fun. So we talked about the timing around scaling and aligning expectations. Thank you so much for that list you gave of what really I'm sure it's not. A, I'm sure there's so much more we forgot, but I think at a high level, we got, we got a lot of the categories, which is yeah. really helpful. I loved your idea of putting together smaller accelerated offerings and charging a higher price, which is such a great way to begin scaling. If there was any last message you wanted to leave our listeners with, actually, I've been having fun asking guests this question. So I'm going to throw you this little bit of a curveball here to wrap it up. If you could set a rule in the online industry, all agreed. Yes, this is a rule we're going to follow. This is what we're now going to do differently. What would be the thing you would have us all do differently? Oh my gosh. I wish I'd had this ahead of time because I would have just sent you a 100 bullet point list of things. I know. In terms of marketing, right? In terms of just selling marketing. I think the biggest thing that is driving me nuts in the industry, so we'll go with that lately, is just this sort of false scarcity, something's ending, can't ever have it again, that sort of thing. But paired with this pressury sales of like, almost being demeaning, sort of like, why would you, you know, why would you not do this? Like, don't you deserve this? And that it's still, it's like old sales tactics, but I still see it happening. And I just like, why is this happening? Like, this is not, I don't know who's teaching this stuff still. I thought we were past this. There seems to be like this new wave of it that I'm getting in my emails lately. And I'm not sure where it's coming from, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This very passive aggressive, more aggressive than passive implication that if you don't act now, you're flawed. Yeah. And it's actually, now that I think of it, it's, it's, I've seen a lot, I've seen a, seen a lot of it in sort of the spiritual development, personal development yeah. world. So this isn't like, it's not bro markety kind of pressure. It's like, there's this other vibe to it, this sort of more like feminine vibe, but it's almost like, why wouldn't you value yourself, you value yourself enough right. and your worth to like invest in this now? And why, why aren't you being high vibe about this? Like that sort of energy around the selling, which is like yes. borrowed from bro marketing, but like has this new spin on it. Lipstick. It's wearing lipstick. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Thank yeah. you so much. And it's so easy to not do that, right? Like mm-hmm. so easy to not do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I see so often my, my students will ask, all right, like, what's the urgency here? Like they want, like, what's the thing I can do to get people to buy now? Yeah. Which is a legitimate question. We're all running businesses. We, of course we want to make money doing this work, but I often just remind myself that the circumstance my potential client is in is urgent and the urgency. Yes. The pain point they're in is, is the built-in urgency. Yeah. yeah. So we don't have to pile on and sometimes piling on with countdown timers and all this other crap can distract them from the real urgency, which is yeah. the discomfort they're in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think learning how to speak to clients discomfort and the pain they're in and then show them 
what they want instead and just close that gap for them and show them that you are the one to do it is like the best sales tactic, like beats any funnel, any countdown timers, any whatever sequences, just being able to have an, an actual conversation with someone. Yeah. Um, not a sales conversation, just like a regular conversation yeah. to show them that is the best sales tool that you can have, even into scaling, right? Because that's going to flow through into your marketing copy and the way that you write about um, your program and what you're selling. Yeah. And learning that early on as a coach is so, so important. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. And yeah, thanks for having me. Time. It was really good to have you. So my big takeaway from this conversation is to like pack my suitcase before I do the next thing. Yes. Right, make sure <laughs> I have everything I I need in order to set myself up for success. So thanks for bringing that today. Yes, thank you. Yeah, this is super fun. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Coaches on a Mission. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, follow, rate, and review. Do all of the things <laughs> to show your support for this show. It is so helpful for us, and it also helps other coaches find this show. If you want to take this episode further, please follow me on Instagram. I'm Dallas Travers Biz Mentor, and every week I turn our episode into a week-long mini course on my Instagram page. It's designed to help you apply what we talk about during the episode to your business in a super tangible way. So let's be Insta friends. Head on over to Instagram and look for my new handle. Again, it's Dallas Travers Biz Mentor. You can do that now and you just might find some funny reels while you're there. So believe me when I tell you, it'll be worth it. Okay, thanks again for tuning in. I truly appreciate that you make time to listen to this show and I hope you have a wonderful week.